Right, because you've already decided ahead of time what your answer is. The answer is that the earth is 6,000 years old because the Bible said so. And so the only thing that is necessary is to mash whatever you're seeing into that worldview, no matter how messy it gets. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm your host, Jordan, and with me is my host, Jared. How's it going, Jared? It is going. It's one of those days. What what, uh, what days? You know, the days where you eat food and you start thinking about stuff and you're like, man, like, is this ethical? Uh, so I was on the 604 Atheist show yesterday talking about my deconversion story. And in the after show, a question came up of uh, human cloning. And like, suppose that you could clone someone. And so you just clone their meat and it was sold in the store. Would you eat it? Slash, would it be ethical? I would eat it, and I think it would be ethical. Yeah, I'd 100% be down. Some people are like, that's gross. And I was like, give me some of that leg meat, you know? Yeah. Like, what, what do they call it? Lawn pig or something like that? Yeah, like, long pork. <laughs> long yeah. pork, yeah, yeah. So the serving suggestion I gave was North Carolina barbecue. Nice. But I then mean, you I, could like... You could like do it tailored, you know, you could like sell your, you could get like buy the meat from somebody else. Like you Ooh, get like, like Taylor Swift meat or something, you know, like <laughs> celebrity right. meat. So, so the creep factor is definitely high, <laughs> still ethical and I still do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyways, <laughs> today's actual topic of conversation uh, is young earth creationism. So we're going to talk about what it is and its popularity and maybe get into some of the arguments against it. We think we're going to do it a couple episodes on this because it's a big topic and it's something that I'm super familiar with because I used to be a young earth creationist. I was never a young earth creationist. I've always been an old earth creationist and now I'm not even a creationist. I'm just an old earther. Right. Uh, otherwise known as someone scientifically literate. Today's episode, before we get into it, is brought to you by the begging the question fallacy. Otherwise known as a circular argument. So mm. when you're begging the question, your conclusion is in the premises of your argument. So you basically assert the thing that you're arguing for. You assert it's true before you start. Yeah. So an example of this would be, we know God exists because the Bible says so, and we can trust the Bible because it is the inspired word of God. Checkmate, atheists. Boom. In that statement, basically, when they say that it's the inspired word of God, that assumes that God exists, which is the thing that they're asserting uh, is the fact. So if you assert something is true and then conclude that it's true, then you've made a circular argument. It's fallacious, no matter what a precept tells you. So don't do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, young don't be a precept. Please don't be a precept. <laughs> any, literally anything other than that. I would rather you be a young earth creationist than a precept. There's a lot of overlap between the two. So young earth creationism. Uh, basically, it's the belief, usually within Christian circles, so not necessarily, that the Bible should be taken as literally true. So the Genesis account in particular, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That actually happened exactly as written in Genesis. So God creating the earth in uh, six days, like created the heavens and the earth, and then 
you know, I forget what day two was. Day four is like the sun. He created all the animals. He created well, Adam and Eve. Which one you're reading? Well, was. yeah, it depends on which account in Genesis because yeah. it's several accounts stitched together. But it's but literal, think, and we take it literally. So, right, it's literal. Whatever it says, that's what happened. And it, this all happened about six thousand years ago. Some go up to ten thousand, but within the last ten thousand years. Yeah, and the way that they get to that number. Um, is they add up the genealogies. This is the main way they get to it. They add up all the genealogies. You know, it's like, and Ahab begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so, and and he lived 300 years, and he lived 600 years. They add them all up, and they go all the way up to Jesus, and they go, hey, look, it's about 6,000 years. So, And the first person to do that, at least uh, most popularly, was a guy named Usher. It's a, I guess it's... Not the singer. Not the singer. Uh, U-S-S-H-E-R. He was an Irish priest. And yeah, he basically just summed up. He did some fancier footwork trying to figure out like overlapping dates or whatever. But more or less, he just basically summed up all of the genealogies that are listed in the Bible and said, well, there you go. Interestingly enough, though, um, Usher wasn't around until like the 17th century. So this idea of a young earth, old earth, like the the distinction really wasn't even important in Christianity up until that point, because like, you know, modern science is starting to reveal like, hey, the earth may be older than, you know, X amount of years. So they didn't have a reason to even like look into it or think about it. Yeah. For most of Christianity, it's been accepted that parts of the Bible are allegorical and can be taken that way. Like it's, I mean, you've always had biblical literalists or fundamentalists, you know, at all times. And it's likely that Jesus probably believed that Noah existed. I mean, I could believe that, but, uh, Christian thinkers in the first, in the second, third, fourth, fifth century had no problem saying that certain stories were allegorical meant to teach lessons, but there was a movement growing out of the Protestant reformation with Luther and then, who focused everything back on the Bible, like everything, all of this tradition should be disregarded. Only what's in scripture matters. And that led to increasing amounts of uh, literalism, basically like it's in the book, black and white. Um, And over time that led to about the late 18th century, where you started had the, the young earth creationism movement, which at that point was called creation science really took off. Yeah. So it's in the in the sense of the whole religion, it's a very new um, phenomena. When you think about it, it's almost like a a new religion, right? Like it's a spawning off as a response to something that's happened within the secular world. So the secular world science says, "Hey, the Earth is X million billion years old," depending on when they are in history. But and then so the Christian goes, "No, uh, I uh, but my Bible says it's." not that old and so and then they have to go off and right which the bible doesn't actually say that at all like say anything about it right like you do have these genealogies but that's first of all in the literature of the time it was not uncommon to exaggerate the ages of people who were important uh this isn't just in the bible but in other near eastern writings they'd say so and so ruled for you know, 600 years or whatever, but nobody actually believed he ruled for 600 years. It was, uh, it, it was a way of emphasizing his importance basically. Yeah. And, uh, the Hebrew word for day, which is used in the, the Genesis account, cause it's written in Hebrew is Yom. And just like, uh, 
like the way that we have the word day today, it could be translated or, or meant have different meanings, right? So like somebody could say, you know, in the day of, or there'll be a day of reckoning coming or like somebody say in the day of the dinosaurs, right? Where it doesn't actually literally mean one day. It could refer to an era. It could refer to a, a period. So even within the the scriptures, it doesn't even necessarily have to mean a literal one day. And even if it, did mean a literal one day. It wouldn't matter, right? <laughs> well, it, it matters to the person who thinks it's literal, right? Like the person who interprets it as inerrant, literal. So. so this may seem to, I imagine most of our listeners, is something crazy that maybe only a couple people believe. So why are we bothering to talk about it? First of all, how dare you? Because we talk about crazy things that only a few people believe in all the time. But secondly, and more importantly, it's actually not... A, a small portion of the population. So if you're living in the United States, according to a Gallup poll from 2019, so only two years ago, 40% of Americans believed in young earth creationism. So the, the question was, which of the following statements comes closest to your views on the origin and development of human beings? And the most popular answer was, that God created human beings pretty much in their present form at one time within the last 10,000 years or so. That was 40% of respondents. That the single most my mind. The single most popular answer. The That's other, almost half of America. Almost half. Now, the next most popular answer was that humans developed over millions of years from less advanced forms of life, but God guided the process. So like your theistic evolution, right. that was 33%. So if you put the two together, 73% believe in some form of creationism. Which, I mean, that I guess makes sense. Like if you're a Christian, you think that God created everything, right? So like it would make sense. Uh, the last question or the last response was God basically the same as the other one, except God had no part. That was 22%. So they've been doing this same question since 1983. And in that time, the other two responses have more or less stayed stable. Um, but the number that believe God had no part has gone up. So I guess the, I don't know, it's shifted more to um, saying God had no part. So That's like when, promising. when they started in 1983, God had no part was 9%. Now it's up to 22. So that's good, I guess. Uh, but way, so way more dangerous though, is that almost half, like you said, almost half of Americans believe that the earth is younger than some trees. That's the first I've heard of the, the Gallup poll in the study. Um, and it's actually, I thought it would be a lot, but like in my mind, I was thinking like maybe like 10%, you know, like a fringe, you know, movement within Christianity, not 40% though. Now, I would I would guess that if you pushed some of those 40% and rephrased the question or like, you know, prodded them, you might be able to get some of them to back off on their on the age, on the age and things like that. Maybe they just haven't thought deeply about it, but the fact that that's like given those three options, that's the one that 40% go for is very concerning, right? Yeah. And it's not like that those people are the ones out there like on message boards like trying to debunk evolution and stuff like they're probably just the average joe christian who's just like oh yeah bible's ten thousand years old so this is not this is mainly a problem in america we're like the world's beacon for young earth creationism but it is growing in western canada thanks to mainly american influence it's also growing in the netherlands of all places hmm. uh, i i talked to some european atheists and for the most part it's like 
Young Earth Creationism is just doesn't a thing except the Netherlands. Like the, the, for some reason, they've got like this huge growing pocket over there. In America, some big names in Young Earth Creationism would include Answers in Genesis. So that's like the Ken Ham. You weren't there. That's my awful, ter- terrible Australian accent. Uh, he's the guy who built Noah's Ark in Kentucky. Yeah, he's also the guy that debated Bill Nye, the science guy. Right, who's a mechanical engineer. And I think it's funny that the Noah's Ark, first of all, they built it with all modern tools. So it's like all like sawed, lumber and, and everything. like steel beams and right like, yeah it had to be like <laughs> externally supported everywhere yeah. and it's like yeah you you go inside like i've never been there but i've seen like video virtual walkthroughs and stuff and there's literally like you know auger bolts and stuff like holding everything together you know it's like yeah not much faith in the uh divine design i guess yeah. other other names would include the institution institute for creation research they funded the rate project which i might mention a little bit but so this, this is a well-funded organized group and or group of groups i guess i should say and their goal is to get evolution taken out of schools and get creation at least taught alongside teach the controversy was their rallying cry for a while um or often more successfully to get christians to insulate themselves take their kids out of the public school system it's very popular for young earth creationists to do homeschooling and to create not necessarily homeschools, but also create their own private schools and try to get funded. Uh, I don't know if you remember DeVos was trying to push that through Congress and stuff. But So that's what happened to me. The My mom pulled us out of uh, public school, not for religious reasons, but at the same time, because she was a creationist at the time, I was taught creationism. So all of my science books were exploring creation with and then insert subject. So everything I got was from a creationist point of view. It, it never occurred to me. Like I did, I didn't know that I was in a minority, though evidently not. Um, it's still a very large minority. Yeah. But um, everyone I knew basically viewed it this way and thought the earth was 6,000 years old and everything. So it didn't occur to me for this to be weird, you know? Well, it's only weird to us. I guess, yeah, uh, it wasn't weird to me at the time. Um, So you might be thinking, well, how could these people come to this conclusion? Like, don't they, aren't they aware of the modern scientific evidence? The answer is largely no, in my own experience. Um, Most people... So I'm going to speak from my own experience. When I was a creationist, I was aware that people thought that the earth was 14 or sorry, that the universe was 14 billion years old and stuff like that. But there was always a ready-made prepackaged answer from like answers in Genesis or something. And as long as I had an answer from them, I was good. Here's some examples of the the level of rigor that your run-of-the-mill creationists like myself when I was a teenager might've had. So one of the arguments, one of our favorite ones was that the second law of thermodynamics uh, precludes evolution, proves it's wrong. Can't get order out of chaos or what is that like? Basically. So (laughs) that's what they think it is. (laughs) At the time I couldn't have told you how many laws of thermodynamics there were. I just knew there was definitely at least two because I knew there was a second one. Uh, The answer is four. There are four of them. Uh, laws one, two, three, and zero. Anyways, the second law is um, entropy. One example that's often used is like if you leave your room alone and you know leave your house for a month and come back, it'll be messier. 
right? That's entropy. Well, kind of, but not really. Uh, but that's the interpretation of the creationists are using. They're saying that, look, people are saying that life is uh, getting more complex over time. And you can't have that because things tend towards disorder. They're always decaying. And so, therefore, boom, doesn't work. So how you've probably heard it expressed when you were coming up in high school, if you heard it, was that all things tend towards disorder, right? Disorder always increases or something like that. What it actually says is that the entropy of a closed system uh, always, will always stay the same or go up. So the, the total entropy of the universe is always increasing. Assuming the universe is a closed system. Yeah, well, yeah, so the entropy of any closed system will go up. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of ways to debunk this. First of all, like you said, closed system, right? Um, so if you're getting uh, energy from outside of the system, it's not a closed system then. And um, if, say, the entropy of that energy source was going up enough, it could offset the loss of entropy if there was a loss of entropy on Earth, and then there'd be no problem. If only that we were getting a source of energy, you know, roughly 12 hours a day, depending on where you are, um, a big ball, a big fusion reactor in the sky. <laughs> if only we had a source. <laughs> yeah. The uh, sun, obviously, mm, is shining yeah. heat on us all the time. A way to think about entropy is how much useful work, how much useful energy there is in a system. You can also think of it as the number of ways you could arrange the parts in the system such that you wouldn't notice from the outside. So an example is, say you had a box. And in this box, you've got a bunch of hot air on the left side and cold air on the right side. This is a low entropy configuration because... Uh, you can move around the hot air molecules on the hot side, but if you moved a hot air molecule from left to right, you'd notice a change in temperature, right? So there are only so many ways that you can arrange it without making it noticeable, without having a change of information. You can also get work. This is how a piston works, okay? Um, so that's low entropy. If you wait long enough over, you know, the heat will exchange between the two sides, and then you'll have a box of gas that's the same temperature throughout. That is a high entropy system. And there's tons of ways to arrange those molecules. And there's, it doesn't matter. Any molecule can be in any spot anywhere in the box, and it makes no difference, right? And so that's part of why entropy always increases. There so you're are going from a system of order where the, the molecules are separated to disorder where they're all just intermingled. Or well, they transferred heat to or each they other. They transferred heat to each other, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so... Uh, there are a lot more ways to be high entropy than there are to be low entropy. So as a matter of fact, you can actually decrease entropy. That's a thing that happens all the time. First of all, on very short timescales, entropy can decrease. That's allowed. It just is extremely unlikely. So it's not going to last very long, and it's not going to happen very often. So even though it can go down a little bit, the vast and overwhelming majority of the time it's going to go up. So that's why the law holds. And doesn't the law stay like over time too? Like, yeah, like yeah. at moment to moment, the entropy might go down, but over any appreciable amount of time, it's going to go up. And you can decrease the entropy as long as um, in a localized part of the system, as long as the entropy of the overall system goes up. A great example is water freezing. When water freezes, it is a lower entropy. 
because it's solid, the molecules are locked in place. If it's especially if it's in the presence of hot air, like that's lower entropy. But when you when the air freezes, it actually increases or when the water freezes, it actually increases the entropy of the air around it. And so the overall entropy of the system is still conserved. Hmm. Um, So that's how entropy actually works. (laughs) And so even if you accepted their premise that going from molecules to man, like they like to call it, represented a loss of entropy, which I'm not convinced it would, but um, even if it were true, you'd have to show that the total system, meaning at least the Earth plus the Sun, uh, would have had to have gone down in entropy. And um, it's hard to quantify how much entropy, like how much entropy do you get when, you know, you have a creature evolving into a more complicated form. It's like mathematically, what does that come down to? Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's kind of hard to do. But, uh, Sean Carroll, who is a physicist tackled this question and he said that he said the same thing. That's a really hard answer to come up with, but we can look at the total biomass of everything on earth and calculate what its maximum entry would be. That's super easy. Right. And so, well, we can super easy for Sean Carroll, super easy for a physicist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he said, so if we just took a whole uh, bio, everything on Earth, the biomass, put it into a big squishy ball and gave it maximum entropy, we'd find its entropy is 10 to the 44 in entropy units, which are units of energy. But that doesn't really matter. Just 10, 40, 10 to the 44 entropies. <laughs> and, <laughs> um. So the question is, how much entropy does the Earth generate? So like that's that that's like as long as we can generate that much entropy over time uh, by converting high energy photons into low energy ones, um, then we have enough at spare entropy basically to create all this life. So it turns out that that amount of entropy is uh, given to the Earth by the sun in a year. So in one year, we'd have enough entropy budget, so to speak, in order to account for the maximum amount of entropy we could possibly need to create all of the life on Earth. Uh, Another tagline I hear from young Earth creationists all the time is, if evolution is true and we evolve from monkeys, how come there's still monkeys? It's funny you say that, actually. I was, uh, my son, at the end of the day, um, he thought he had a, we have a saying in our house called big brains. Like whenever we have like a good idea or somebody does something, we're playing a game like, Oh, big brains, you know, right. um, Look he at the big a, brain on bread. Exactly. That's where it came from. Right. So he thought he had a big brains moment. He's like, they say, you know, we evolved for monkeys, but how come they're still monkeys? And then he's like, what are the, what are the monkeys going to evolve into? Like maybe they could evolve into something. I was like, I had to stop him. I said, okay, all right. I'm glad you're thinking about this. But let's let's roll back a little bit here. Okay, first of all, it doesn't say we evolved from monkeys. That's not how this works. We had we share a common ancestor, and I started breaking down how you know the evolutionary theory. And at, at the end of it, he's like, "Yeah, but what what if the apes keep evolving? They could be new humans, right?" And I'm like, "So kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe so, right. a different kind, but." Yeah, so that's the thing. That's the piece that they miss, and and I think it shows a fundamental lack of evolutionary education. Like I, when I was a creationist, had a very poor understanding of what evolution actually taught. Um, but like you said, no modern human evolved from any modern species. It, it just didn't happen. But 
us and and ancient species share, shared a common ancestor that evolved into two different branches and those branches can never come back so um an ape under the right selection pressures could potentially evolve language and greater intelligence and all those things maybe like evolution has no goal it's not like being an, an intelligent creature is a goal of evolution evolution doesn't have a goal other than procreate right but perhaps an ape might find an ecological niche where intelligence is favored and they may grow up into something that looks a lot like humans but they would be distinct be a completely different species yeah right when i was doing that i I got out a piece of paper and i started drawing out like a line that's doing branches off of it and i just kept doing branches and it's like as like they're never gonna touch as like and and how do we know that this happened it's not something we just made up uh you can look at the genetic codes of all of these creatures and you can see um androgynous is it androgynous you're in androgynous retroviral yeah uh, androgynous retroviruses so there are viruses that procreate by injecting their genetic code into our genetic code and then using our cells to reproduce them right and uh, our our gene code has tons of these viruses through it right um and it's possible that uh a virus can get its code into a cell what do they call it the germline it has to be passed on to you through your, yeah. your... So they, they can get into the right cells that will then be passed on to offspring. But there are millions of different insertion lot places that the, the genetic code could go into. Like, there's a million different slots that the virus can put its gene code. So they have to put the code in a cell that's going to go to an offspring in order for it to show up. So if we see two species that have the same... Uh, virus Insertion spot right basically the same, the same virus in the same spot on the same cells either two viruses infected two different species at the same spot randomly in just the right cell for it to show up or they shared a common ancestor that passed it on to both of them right and it, that may sound like it's an it's like a flip of a coin. It's not a flip of a coin. Like when you do the math and you figure out like the probabilities and, for which one, like it's and then repeat that. Hundreds of times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So because there's hundreds of examples of this. And then you've also got morphological things like, you know, our hand structure is the same going back through all the different apes. You can see a similar bone structure in like whales and stuff like that because we all have a common mammal ancestor. Our tailbone. Yeah. Vestigial organs. There's tons of examples and we are very poor uh, people to get all the biology from. If you want to get better answers on the biology. I'd recommend uh, Creation Myths, who's a guy named Dr. Dan, who's a biologist, or Jackson Wheat is another biologist, or I think he's a biology student. I don't think he's graduated yet, but they're both YouTubers that do just biology and evolution. So if you want more stuff on that specific topic, I'd highly recommend their stuff. What I often hear to like these stock answers from creationists that you were talking about, like uh, oftentimes when I'm engaging with them online, you know, they'll geology is like one of their go-tos right like grand canyon uh look at the the strata layers and all this stuff talking about like that's obviously sediment laying down is that something that was taught to you when you were a child like or when you were being presented this information yeah i was taught that all rocks are weighed down in floodwaters where all of them could be and that could explain the entire geologic column 
of course, that's nonsense because some rocks are formed from like lava flows. Other rocks are formed <laughs> from sediment. Some rocks are formed by uh, dead creatures, actually, like chalk is the shells of right. sea creatures. And those take thousands, millions of years to get up to any kind of thickness. But um, So what, what they would point to is things like Mount St. Helens. So Mount St. Helens ex- ex- you know, exploded, and you had these huge layers of sediment laid down instantaneously. Or look at a mudslide. Like, look how fast rock can form. And they'd say, checkmate, look. Rock can form and you know very quickly, but what actual geology says is, yeah, that rock forms quickly and other rock forms slowly. Like yeah, that rock was under was liquid magma just a little bit right. ago, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. So so uh, as with most most things, it's um, more complicated than that. And this is endemic of the entire creationist paradigm: is it's a mile wide but only an inch deep. You know. Well, I think that kind of points to how the mindset, right? So like they're always pushing this, what they call observational science or things that you can observe with your senses. And so if you're just taking that level, like that, that inch deep level, and you go out and you look at the layers of, of rock, like it makes sense. That looks like they were laid down in layers and you don't go any deeper into understanding why that was, I mean, Right, because you've already decided ahead of time what your answer is. The answer is that the earth is 6,000 years old because the Bible said so. And so the only thing that is necessary is to mash whatever you're seeing into that worldview, no matter how messy it gets. You know, it doesn't matter that it's consistent in and of itself, you know. Um, An example of inconsistencies that happen when you try to do this butcher job on science, uh, because if you change something... The, the, the scientific picture that we have didn't it, – it's not like we look at one piece of evidence, say, say, try to explain that one piece of evidence, and then ignore all other pieces. Like the, the image we've got is built from um, conclusions from separate fields that all point the same direction. You have one model, and it works within that model. Right. So they'll often invoke an ad hoc explanation to explain one thing – that they're looking at right now and not consider its wider implications. So one example of that is radiometric dating, which I think we're going to cover in the next episode. Another example that's also related to physics would be the speed of light. So if you look out in the stars, stars are really far away. And so if you're looking at light that's far away, you're actually looking into the distant past because it takes time for light to get to you, right? Some of these stars are millions or billions of light years away. And so the light is millions or billions of years old. Well, that's a problem if you think that the universe is 6,000 years old, right? <laughs> yeah. So there are several different explanations. One explanation is just that God made everything look old. So, so he made it with the appearance that it was old. Right. In which case, God is just a giant you know, jerk who like is hiding his handiwork, like lying to all of us, basically. That's one explanation, I suppose. Uh, Another explanation that I've heard posited is that the speed of light isn't actually constant. We can only measure the speed of light on the light that's coming towards us, right? We can't measure it going away from us because we're not there on the other end to like do the stopwatch, (laughs) Yeah. So this is the whole Ken Ham, were you there argument? Like, Basically, it's it's like the one-way speed of light is what they call it. And 
the idea is, well, you've never measured it. So how could you possibly know atheist? Um, and if light moves super much faster one way than the other, then the light could have gotten here in time. You don't know. The problem with that is we do know. Yeah. And the reason we know is because of general relativity. <laughs> like, So in case you aren't steeped in your physics, in case you forgot your college level physics course, uh, Einstein's great revelation was that the speed of light was constant. Well, one of his many revelations, the speed of light is constant for all observers. Whether or not, no matter what your speed is with, in relation to something else, everyone looking at a photon will agree on its speed. So if you're traveling, if you have a flashlight and you're moving forward at half the speed of light, you will measure that flashlight's beam as going at the speed of light. And someone who's standing still next to you will that you're like passing by will measure the speed of light at the exact same thing. And from that, we get all of the weirdness of relativity where you can have time dilation. If you're moving very fast, time slows down for you. Um, if you're moving very fast, the length between two objects actually gets smaller, not just looks smaller, but physically gets physically smaller. Get smaller. Yeah, yeah. Um, relativity does a lot of weird things, but we know it's true. And the reason we know it's true is because we use it all the time. We have to include relativistic effects in satellites, for example. If we didn't include relativity to account for the difference in how time passes, not how time feels like it's passing, like, oh, my God, it's been a long day, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but like, no, time actually goes slower if you're going faster. And satellites are going sufficiently fast that we have to take that into account. If we didn't, GPS would stop working in a matter of weeks. That's because crazy. the clocks on the satellite would get so out of sync with the clocks on Earth because time is moving slower for those satellites. That's insane. Yeah. And so like literally the evidence that they're wrong is in the phone that they're using to type to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not if they disabled location services. <laughs> yeah. But like the, the phone and if, yeah, depending on their internet service provider, oh, maybe true. their yeah. internet yeah. might rely on the very technology that they're discounting. But again, they don't consider these wider implications. It's all, did I answer the objection that I'm hearing right now? If yes, then don't apply that to anything else. It also sounds too like what you're saying is like they only address a question or an objection like in the moment and they don't compare that to their other answers, right? So like whereas the science model, like for example, evolution takes all these different sciences together and all these different pieces of evidence. All right, does this new piece of evidence fit in with our model? Whereas a creationist they just address one at a time and they don't try to fit it in with their models. I mean, so it, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of different creationists. Um, so that's how creationists that I've interacted with, like the film free, who's very bottom of the barrel, mm -hmm. um, who just kind of throws out ad hoc explanations all the time. Uh, more professional scientists, quote unquote creations. Cause there are creations with like actual, science degrees like physicists and biologists and everything they're not very many of them but there are they are there and so people like publish in the creation journal they being trained scientists will try to build an actual model so they do a little bit more of the next steps but even then because they've already committed to this model they have no problem invoking magical thinking so i've certainly seen examples in the creation journal for example when they say okay uh in order for the earth to be young as we know it is, then X has to be true. 
X implies some other thing that we can't figure out, but we know that that's not a problem because we know the earth is 6,000 years old. And that's the end of the discussion. Like that's like, not how science works. though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, there are definitely points like uh, I, I've had uh, or been privy to conversations with say Andrew Snelling and other creationists who basically admit that magic is necessary for their model to work. Like at some point God has to reach down his doodly appendage and shield the earth from heat or magically speed up evolution or do whatever magical thing is necessary to make things work. If you admit that, then why even bother with the other stuff? Just be like, yeah, God did it. Like, I don't even care if you're wrong or you're right or wrong. I don't care. God did it all. Right. And I have encountered those creationists who are like, I don't care what evidence you give me, whatever it is, God did it. And I'm like, well, at least you're consistent. Like, exactly. I'll give you that, you know? Um, that's that's the model I would adopt. Like, Yeah, I mean, it, I, I've jokingly said that, hey, if you have a magic space wizard, I mean, use the magic space wizard, yeah. right? Like, just... <laughs> That'd be the, the worst debate ever. Yeah, but uh, space wizard, next... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, magic, next question. So, yeah, that, that and, and I think it's it's it shows a tension, I think, um, because like me as a young earth creationist, I wanted to, I thought the scientific evidence pointed in a certain direction and I wanted to follow whatever the science said. I was just woefully ignorant of what the science said. But I think there's this tension where, well, if we invoke magic, then it's not science. And so we can't, we, we want to pretend to be science, right? So we can't invoke magic. We want to show how it happened physically. Right. I think the key there, what you're saying is like pretend to be science, right? Because a lot, I've seen some of the uh, the curriculum for like young earth creationists that they send home to like homeschoolers and stuff. And what they present as science is not actually the scientific method that I was taught in a public school system or, you know, that I was exposed to in my undergrad. Like that is very different. And so like if you're teaching a method of science that isn't actually um, – science then it causes problems for all other things in your life too right yeah it they definitely endorse an anti-scientific worldview when i was one one image that sticks out of my mind from my textbooks was they were explaining the scientific method and they had a little their figure was a little stick figure running down the street and that's like your theory right and then there's hurdles in your way and those are the evidence and if you jump over the hurdle you like answered the evidence or something right but eventually the stick figure tripped because they made a prediction that didn't work. And they said, so if that happens, you have to throw away the theory. You're not allowed to use it anymore. But evolutionists don't do that. What they do is they change their theory and make it fit the evidence. And that's not science. And I'm like, no, that's exactly what science is. Yeah. Like that's, You literally that's, just ran 800 meters and you tripped on the last hurdle. So, just go back 100 meters, get a new hurdle. I mean, maybe maybe that new piece of evidence is enough yeah. to disqualify your entire right. theory. Maybe, but maybe if you just like change something, maybe now your theory is better and it fits as new evidence. Like that's fine. But like you said, it affects real things. Um, take the pandemic, for example. There's a pandemic, a rash of young earth creationists who are also anti-vaxxers. Um, it's been kind of entertaining to watch in the creationist sphere because you have some organizations like the Institute for Creation Research who are openly anti-vax themselves, but you have others like the like creation.com 
that are not anti-vax and they have done like live streams trying to explain to their followers why the vaccines are safe, how you can trust them, you should get vaccinated. And every response, just page after page after page, is their followers telling them that they that scientists can't be trusted, that they're lying to them. And the people doing the creationist hosts are like desperately trying to debunk this stuff. And it's hilarious because your audience is only doing what you've trained them to do for decades. Right. You've, you've told them to, to mistrust the science that they're using and then use a method that concludes that you can't trust that stuff. It's right. You've told them for years that scientists are lying to you, that the evidence doesn't support evolution, that all these scientists are just closing their eyes and, and like pretending that this stuff doesn't exist because they have an agenda. You've told them this over and over and over again. And now all of a sudden be like, well, I mean, yeah, but not, not these scientists, this science is good. that's not going to work yeah you can't have your cake and eat it too like right uh, and uh, so that i think just like we always try to loop back into like real life because something that we hear from people why are you bothering to do this like why like why why skepticism you know who cares if someone thinks that they wave their hand and it heals someone or who cares if someone believes that the earth is six thousand years old you know what does it matter it matters. It's, it's yeah. literally life or death. I mean, the truth matters just in general. I think that we'd all be better off if we had more true beliefs and fewer false beliefs. Right. And just scientific literacy, I think, is important. We'd be better off as, as a people if we were more scientific literate. But right now, you can clearly see people are literally dying because they don't understand science. Like hundreds of thousands of people are dying because a large segment of the population at a basic level, not only doesn't understand science, but doesn't trust it either. Yeah. There's a difference there between not understanding it and, and not trusting it. And it seems like the, the young earth creationist movement is, is anti-science. It, it teaches that science is bad, that it's wrong. And as a result, you have what we have today. Um, but it, you're also talking about a population of people who, like you said earlier, are isolating themselves, right? So if you put yourself in an echo chamber so that the average young earth creationist isn't going to be exposed to all these high level arguments, right? They're not going to know about the comets and like why the tails and all this stuff, like all those kind of arguments. All they're going to know is like the basic level stuff that you were taught when you were a kid. And then they're going to go on about their day because they don't care or they never get exposed to people trying to challenge their beliefs. Right. Um, and so when they get presented with somebody who actually is challenging them, they only have a couple options, you know, fight or flight. So they're going to shut down, which I think is the opposite of that fighting is what you're seeing with the people who don't want to get vaccines. You know, they're just putting up their walls. So that's our show. Uh, first in a series that we will come back to, not sure if we're going to do it consecutively or how many episodes we're going to have, but since it kind of spans both the science and the um, religion parts of our podcast, we thought it might be interesting to the two sides of our audience. Yeah. We thought we'd and, start with a 30,000 foot view, kind of give an overview of like what young earth creationism is, why we're talking about it. And it also lets Jordan flex his muscles a little bit since he really is really, really, really knowledgeable on the topic. So Certain parts of the topic, the biology, not so much, but uh, the other stuff, which we're going to get into next time, 
I think we're going to talk about radiometric dating and the Oklo phenomena, a naturally occurring nuclear reactor, which is like the coolest thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. <laughs> yeah. So if you think that sounds interesting, tune in next time, which I guess will be released on the end of the month or beginning of December. Um, if you like this podcast, like this episode or any of our episodes, uh, drop us a like or comment on whatever platform you used on Facebook or whatever. Let us know what you liked about it. If you are a young earth creationist and you think that there's some brilliant piece of evidence, we actually got a gentleman who gave me a six hour uh, stream. It was like, this does you debunks it, like debunk this stream. And I was like, bro, six hours, you're gonna need to give me a, something <laughs> specific for me to tackle. And I did, um, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe next time I'll actually bring in his, um, specific complaint too but anyways we're going to go into more of the specific evidence and claims and kind of do more traditional debunking episode next time so tune in for that um share this around with your friends if you have some young earth friends young earth creationist friends share this episode the next one and i guarantee you they will be atheists by the end of it i don't actually guarantee that at all because you can be an evolutionist using their terms and also a christian that's fine most christians are (laughs) well apparently 40 percent I don't know. So. I think 40% is still a minority. <laughs> so, well. But anyways, to the other 60%, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out. <laughs> Wait, so, I mean, <clears throat> if you could order somebody, though, like, who are you going to eat? Like, you could play. Uh, if I could just, like, eat anybody... I don't know if if I go with like a, I eat them and get their powers, then I'd probably go with like Sean Carroll or something like somebody really okay, smart. Yeah, somebody smart like Stephen yeah. Hawking or like yeah. right. Well, I don't know. He I, I feel like he's well. Then again, like they they tenderize meat by having him not exercise a lot. I bet his meat would be super tender, right? Yeah, kind of like veal, you know, like super. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really dark conversation. <laughs> okay, uh, probably cut that last part out. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.